Good afternoon, folks. Phil from Bravo Charlie here again at the Waste Expo with Rob Wrigley from Australia's leading manufacturer of electric waste collection vehicles, Superior Pack. That went quite well, I thought. Um, there's an electric truck next to us. Rob, what's going on? Yeah, well, it exists. What's been the journey? How have you got here? Well, relatively long one, but at the end of the day, it's happened pretty quickly, really. But so. Maybe a year and a half ago, we had clients saying, what are the solutions for EV? What can we do? How do we reduce our footprint? It started in New Zealand for us. We find in New Zealand, our clients are running very clean energy. So most of their energy is renewable. It's hydro or wind or a bit of solar. So they have no kind of carbon issue in general from their energy generation. They said, now what can we do with a vehicle to eliminate the tailpipe emission? Can we go back to the grid? We looked around, we found C who are building EVs for buses and small vans. SEA, I believe. S- S- SEA, C Electric. Well, C-Electric. it is. It's SEA, yeah. C Electric. Yeah, yeah. So, so they were in the in the game as mm-hmm. such. Um, they had a system that had a range of around 200 kilometres. We knew that ticked the box for most of our client runs. That would get them through a day. Yep. It was slightly heavier than a conventional motor. Mm-hmm. What we'd seen up until then was most of the EV that was in the market was very heavy. Mm-hmm. So one of the key issues for our client base is payload. Yep. So that was really problematic. It was never going to work for us. Never, ever going to work for us. So, so these guys, we end up finding a lightweight solution, probably took three, 400 kilos off payload. That was two tonne better than any other solution on the market. It was well-priced as well. It was quite cost-effective. So we bundled it together. The client had a a cab chassis uh, preferred supplier there. We got work with them. We stripped the motor out. We put a body on it. We went to market. And and the reality was, 12 months later, it's had very little issues. And it's it's ticked the box. We've uh, saved, obviously, all the fuel. His energy cost is very low. His R&M on the cab chassis is extremely low. Everything's great. Wonderful. I was hearing figures of like um, three grand of electricity versus 50 grand of diesel. Yeah. That's the sort of thing? That's kind of a solution. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a premium on the whole configuration. It's subtly heavier. It's probably 150 to 200K more expensive capital-wise. And then you can see that payback model. Okay. And what is the break-even point? Like, why why this truck? Yeah, yeah, well, we're probably saying it's around four four to to five years. Now, most of our clients are in municipal contracts uh, somewhere between seven and ten years. So they can see a horizon, a revenue stream of seven to ten. They know a useful life on their vehicle. And they've also now got a payback sitting around four to five years. So you can see there's a value add for them. It's a clean solution and it's also economic. When do I get kicked in the ass with having to replace the batteries? Yeah, Good question. Uh, five-year warranty mm-hmm. at 10-year useful life. And at okay. the end of 10 years, the forecast is it will degradate by 10% per year. So you can actually you can actually go 11 years at 90%, 12 years at 80%, down to zero at 20 So, But we also all have a view that the battery uh, technology is moving so fast, by the time you get sold outside of that warranty period or that useful life of 10 years, there'll be something that'll be probably a half the price and twice as powerful and, twi- and, and lighter again. So okay. it'll, be, it'll be quite efficient to you to simply take the battery yeah. out and replace it. And please, the battery doesn't need to be landfilled. There are plenty of other purposes for that battery. It could go to a domestic use. You, know, you, could, you could store the solar off your roof from the day and, and charge it, use it at night. You know, yeah. charge about, there's plenty of uses for that battery. Yeah. They make a very good hat. Yeah, You're correct. Looking That's for it. a new hat? Yeah, yeah. Use a truck battery. Stay dry. <laughs> and, and semi more seriously. Yeah. Um, so I completely lost my train of thought there. Yeah, yeah. Semi more seriously. When, if I'm out there looking to disrupt 
the waste market yeah. by tendering for the fact that I'm going to go and use electric trucks to collect the waste sure. uh, and I'm going to get a seven to ten year contract. Mm. What's the lead time on getting one of these things? Yeah, right now we're full for the rest of this calendar year. Um, our production of conventional vehicles is also very busy, but early in the new year, so inside six months. Okay. And what's the hesitation in the marketplace? Uh, I think... Yeah, you know, it's all a double-edged sword. You know, they are in these contracts for long periods of time. Probably margins are slightly lighter because they are very controlled. If that is, if we get that wrong, if they get the maintenance wrong, if they get the performance wrong, they're going to live with that for the next seven to ten years, right. and it will compound into their business for that period of time. That's yeah. the hesitation. What we're seeing right now is a lot of purchases, one-offs, so yeah. that they get an understanding of the product performance, and then I think in the next round of tenders, once they get a couple of years understanding of its performance, then they'll start to tender that in margin. So right now it's getting them um, away from a traditional vehicle which has performed well and they know all the data on it. They've got an absolute understanding of the margin and the performance of that vehicle. They go into a new seven or ten year fixed income contract and they get those numbers wrong, that will hurt them. So understanding those numbers a little more is probably the hesitation right now. Yeah. And if you've been watching Bravo Charlie for a while, you would have seen like three years ago when we're over in Pennsylvania speaking with a highly on company and they're getting around the Australian trucking market, having a chat to those people well, having a chat to the Australian trucking market about commercializing a new technology, experiencing all these things about taking a singular test vehicle, seeing how it works in the business model when margins are tiny. Yeah. And you were mentioning to me something you're proudest of being commercialization. No question. You know, we, we can always come up with a green solution. We can always come up with a neater environmental outcome. What we want to do is value add that. You know, we want to make sure it's economic and commercial. And again, all of our clients have shareholders, they all have employees, they all have other stakeholders, and they all need a reward, so we've got to make sure it's commercial. Yeah. And on a macro level, waste in general in Australia, we're talking about a transport solution for existing waste that's got to go from somewhere to somewhere. Yeah. We're going to keep moving that. What, what would you say to the people watching? Um, about the general waste situation in Australia. What's your take on it? Yeah, I think, I think China's sword and, and kind of some of the global kind of issues right now around moving and the logistics of waste and packaging and the like and, and this sort of growth in populations and growth of packaging are really kind of can be seen as real problems. But I think the industry in general are addressing the likes of China and this packaging and population growth in a really positive frame, I think, framework. They're, they're really looking for outcomes, they understand their their baseline issues. What can we do to be more efficient? How do we deal with this stuff longer term? You know, no one wants to see, no one wants to see negative environmental outcomes. Yeah. All of our key clients do not want to go there. Issues like transporting waste across state boundaries and things, you know, potentially for an economic gain, most of our core clients don't want to know about it. They want that stuff enforced, policed. So they're keen on national standards and, and compliance by all parties and, and with a strong environmental impact analysis, no question. Beautiful. And traditional silos of academia, industry, mm. politics and the public. Yeah. For the people who are in the public sphere, who are passionate about doing things in the environmental space, what would your advice be or suggestion to them on how to engage with industry and politicians to get stuff like this on the road if I can't afford a $300,000 truck? Yeah, yeah. What well, can I, how can I play a role in this transition? I think as a stakeholder, as a rate payer, obviously a lot of waste collection is done through local authorities, so we're all close to the action there. I think, that, I think it's important that they talk to their local authorities around the environmental impact, the long-term sustainability of their local environment, uh, the Me Too approach, so that they're all in that together. It's not, you know... We've seen so much not in our own backyard. Well, the reality is at a local government level, it's got to be in your own backyard. So you've got to take charge of that. You've got to say we accept 
to accept this change. We we may need to understand. We may need a landfill because we need. We've obviously got to move this stuff around. We've also got to put recycling together. We've got to understand the logistics of that. One of the key elements and the key issues with the recycling industry right now, why we're seeing so many stockpiles, is it's uneconomic. To, to recycle or reproduce that product is uneconomic. I think if the more that you can do locally and at source, reducing the transportation, the logistics and the like out of that equation, out of that cost base, I think the better the outcome for everyone. So I think at a local level, as it, as it adopt some of these methodologies, you know, it's nice to say we want to, I want to put in my recycling bin and I want to see that fully recovered. But I think if some of that's not done locally or it's not accepted, within the community, then it won't be economic to do so. Yeah, I, on a really associated but different topic, I've been really concerned about this backlog of waste that's being stockpiled because I don't understand, for instance, I was at the Waste Expo two years ago talking to a road furnishing company who were taking waste, making it into plastics, and then supplying it, though they couldn't secure contracts for acquisition of their waste. They were purely selling the manufacturing or the equipment. Um, how like, what's the reality of getting through this backlog of all this waste? Yeah, I think it, it's just going to take a focus. It's just going to take a focus. It's obviously got to be economic. At the end of the day, either we, we either agree as, as rate payers and stakeholders to subsidize it, and yeah. you know, that we accept it as an environmental problem and we're going to have to pay for that environmental problem, yep. or simply we legislate for new markets. I mean, mm. you, you see there's great opportunities. These glass, these glass piles that are in stockpiles around the place, you know, that can be easily recycled. You know, I believe the Tullamarine, the new Tullamarine Freeway has something like 7 million bottles uh, in, the, in that road base. So at the end of the day, local authorities, state governments and federal governments can, can legislate to see that glass go, you know, they can change the rules around road base. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly fine product. There's nothing wrong. In fact, it will last longer than the, the, the number of other products. It'll, it'll do a great job of what it needs to do there. If we legislated a certain percentage of that needed to be recycled glass as yeah. such, then all of a sudden that market would open up tomorrow. Right. And it would be no compromise to the Capital Works project, no compromise to the community or the quality of that road. It's just simply easier to source sand and gravel today as opposed to crush recycled product. Beautiful. And if there's one thing you want people in the world to know about Superior Pack, what would you tell them? Uh, I suppose we're here for the long haul. We're very much focused on the stakeholders in our business and our community, and we're here to do it forever and, and do a damn good job. And if there's one thing you wanted people to know about waste in Australia, what would you tell them? Yeah, um, it, it shouldn't be a problem. It should not be a problem. I think we just need to work, focus on the solutions. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks so much for your time. No trouble. Anytime. Anytime.